The last few weeks um, at ICP have been very, very special. We were in a series on prayer called The Movement, and we pray that that movement will continue. In fact, um, in your sermon notes, there's a prayer sheet. These will be being uh, uh, delivered each week um, as an encouragement to continue to pray intentionally, that God will begin a movement of prayer beginning with us. And it's based out of a passage in Zechariah chapter 8 where God gives an incredible promise that those who truly seek Him, a congregation that comes together, is what He will use to bring about revival and draw many nations to faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to be a part of that. And so I want to encourage you to let's be intentional about prayer. And, and um, when we hit the fall, we're going to be doing some different things in prayer as well as part of the service to really try to help us grow in this incredibly important aspect. The last two weeks have been really, really special too as we've had outdoor worship on the island, um, just being able to exalt the Lord in His creation and out openly is such an incredible privilege as we saw people in tour boats and paddle boats and on the bridges and coming down the stairs, wondering what the music was, wondering what was happening, seeing the Lord be worshiped, hearing messages from His Word and celebrating together Um, those who have trusted in in Jesus Christ, their testimony of faith through baptism. It's just a time of incredible joy. And that's what we're going to focus on now. We're going to begin a new series on joy. And I want to start by helping us to understand the difference between joy and happiness. All of us want to be happy. We enjoy happiness. There's nothing wrong with happiness, but we need to understand its shortcomings, how far it can go, and understand that God offers us something even greater. So I want to start by by giving us a bit of a test to look at in our own heart. If you're absolutely honest with yourself and with the Lord, Would you say, if or when blank happens, I will be happy? If so, what's in that blank? And then begin to ask yourself, is that truly what's going to make me happy? Because you see, what often happens is we go from event to event in our life thinking that that next event will bring happiness. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's easy to get caught up in something like this, a progression that looks something like this. Maybe it begins with, I'll be happy when I fall in love. I mean, there is nothing more amazing than love. I have, for the last 32 years, been able to share a love relationship with my wife that has gotten more beautiful all the time. There have been times when it's been incredibly happy, other times when she probably wasn't as happy. I won't say that I wasn't because I'll have to pay for that later. So we'll just skip over that one just in case. It's been good. (laughs) Thank you back there. Or maybe, maybe when you're, if you're honest, you'll say, I'll be happy when I get that dream job. 
I know that was, that was me for a long time. I was really ambitious earlier in life when I worked in television and, and I wanted to, to progress through different positions and, and I kept thinking that that next position, you know, whether it was in management or directing or whatever it was, would bring a sense of satisfaction. But you know what? When I got there, I found out that there were just as many hard and difficult things in that new position as there were in the old one. And oftentimes, I, w- I, I would look back longingly, oh, I wish life was simple again. I didn't have all this responsibility. Anybody, anybody else been there? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily deliver happiness. Or I'll be happy when this particular problem is over. After I get past this hurdle, or when I get married, or when I can buy a home, or I find that that perfect flat, or maybe I'll be happy when I have children. And then you have children, and you go, I'll be happy when they're a little bit older. In fact, I might be really happy when they're on their own. There is a joy in that. Um, It's such a great privilege for us because I'm pretty sure we're the oldest ones here, um, to be able to relate to our children as peers now, especially in things of faith. It's really, really cool. Or I'll be happy when I can retire, which is when I absolutely have no concept of what that would ever look like. So that was a hard one for me. Here's the problem. We can go through life thinking that happiness will come with the next thing and eventually we can look back and see we've been waiting for happiness all our life and we missed it. See, the problem is happiness is built on something that ultimately is broken. The blueprint and the information for happiness is corrupted because it is built only on our physical response to what happens to us in life. And humanity is impacted by our sin. Our own sin and the sins of others have made happiness something that comes and goes. In fact, we might compare it to the waves of an ocean. It rolls in and the tide pulls back. And we look at our life and it seems to have gone up and down. But God offers us something deeper and more meaningful. He calls it joy. And joy is dramatically different because it is not based upon the response to what happens to us physically in our, in our bodies. It is built upon a deeper resource, which is God himself. And he offers us incredible joy. The passage that we were reading, uh, that Trevor read for us, um, which we're going we're gonna to be over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians, and today is just kind of an introduction. But I, I love what Paul says there where he begins that, yes, I will rejoice. And that is the key. If you don't remember anything else from this morning that I say, understand that joy, first and foremost, is a choice. You and I have to choose joy. The word rejoice is the action word for joy. And it is a a choice where we intentionally say, I'm going to live for joy. And we're going to look at some practical ways that we enter into that joy, but understand it is something you and I choose. If we're not experiencing joy, it's because we have not been pursuing God and pursuing His joy. 
So there's a difference between the happiness and joy. Let's look at its meanings and contrast these for a moment so that we can, we can understand how they are different so we understand also really how to tap into joy. Well, the meaning of happiness is that it's an emotion which one experiences feelings ranging from contentment and satisfaction to bliss and intense pleasure. It's a good thing. And the reason we can experience happiness to begin with is because we are created in the image of God and that imprint is still on us even though our sin has corrupted it from what it originally was. Joy, though, is an attitude of delight and peace that flows from God into our spirits. It produces an assurance that we are loved, we are secure, and we are significant to God at all times. Now, isn't that ultimately what we want? Is to be secure, to be assured that God loves us, that He even likes us? And he promises that he does when we place our trust in Jesus Christ. The causes of happiness are external. Good events bring good feelings. Bad events bring heartache. Joy, however, has an inward source, and it is from God's abiding presence, his promise that he is with us always, no matter what. time frame of happiness is for a moment, but the promise of joy is everlasting. It's like a river. It continually flows in and through us. Now, when we look at the Scripture and we look back at the original languages, we discover something very, very important about joy. The word joy in the original language is the word kara. And it's very, very similar to another word that is all over the scriptures that we use, which is called charis, which means grace. They come from the same root because they come from the same source. Grace is an unmerited favor of God. And joy is a free gift of God where He gives His presence, His peace, His assurance to you when you place your life completely in His hands. It is a gift. The Scriptures define it as a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from God as His Spirit dwells within us. It produces joy when we choose to focus on Him and live for Him. So the source is clearly from God and not from something external. And this is such an important theme in the Scripture that the word joy or rejoice or one of its forms appears 434 times in the Bible. Do you think God wants us to be joyful? If He's going to tell us that many times to rejoice or to take joy or He promises to ex- that we will experience joy, the joy of the Lord... Um, His salvation is my joy. There's all kinds of aspects in scriptures that we'll look at that talk about joy. And here in Philippians, we see it concentrated. It's the theme of the whole letter. 16 times in this four short chapters, he talks about joy. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to give you the background here in just a moment. But but Paul tells us 
First of all, that he prays with joy. He rejoices that Christ is proclaimed, that the gospel goes out. That's a source of joy in his heart and life. He will remain living on the earth for the joy of those he's writing to. That's why he has a tough time making a decision. Is it better for me to go and be with the Lord, to to die and go into his presence, or to have fruitful labor here? Well, my joy says, I want to serve you. And that's one of the huge keys to joy. There's an old Sunday school thing. If you grew up, at least in, in Western culture, in Sunday school, you learned that joy was an acronym that stood for Jesus, others, and you. How many of you went through that? See, a, a few of us did, yeah. It's a little cheesy, but it's pretty accurate, okay? It's not any more cheesy than most of my acronyms, so I can't, I can't really complain. But it's a good definition that Jesus comes first, then we pursue the interests of others, and then we receive joy. It's a beautiful picture. In chapter 2, he asked the Philippians to complete his joy. Their maturity, their growth as, as the people of God brings him joy. I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you take joy in other believers in their growing, in their success, in their becoming more and more um, a follower of Jesus Christ? When that becomes the deep desire of our heart, we will experience great joy. And I promise you that when you get to, to walk alongside of another person who is growing in their relationship with Christ, there is a joy that overflows. It's, it's effervescent. You know, it, it just bubbles up in your heart because we're sharing something so beautiful. He goes on in numerous times to talk about joy. And ultimately, what he tells us in, in chapter 4, verse 4, is rejoice or choose joy. And again, I say rejoice, choose joy. And it is a command in the Scripture. So joy is not just something that's optional. It actually is something we are commanded to do. And here's why. Nobody is impressed by a boring self-consumed follower of Jesus Christ. If we're not joyful, we're not showing others who Jesus Christ is. If we don't have a resource within us that gives us peace and contentment in the midst of difficulties and strife, we're not proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is alive, that He is the God of this world, and that He offers incredible hope. So therefore, God in His Word commands us to be joyful. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we look at the Scripture and we think of God's commands as being ones that are, that are um, taking things away from us. Ian talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and that's their perception. God, when He commands things in His Word, it is commanded for His glory and for our good and ultimately for our enjoyment of Him. He wants us to be filled with joy overflowing with joy. So it's a good, good thing. We are commanded to choose joy. This means that we are told to look for God in every circumstance and choose to trust who He is and what He is doing. We are told to focus our hearts in faith, to have hope in God that sees beyond the trials, the difficulties, and the circumstances that we face. 
And as I've watched the news in recent days with the, with the attacks in, in Nice, with the turmoil in Turkey, with the riots and the, the strife that's in the United States, with the political upheaval that has occurred in the UK, or we begin to look at all of the, the difficulties in, in Africa, like Boko Haram, we see what ISIL or ISIS is doing, and, and we look at the news of our world, and it certainly isn't good news. It can be discouraging and overwhelming. But the message of the angels at the birth of Jesus Christ is still absolutely true. What our world needs most is hope and joy. And it is our responsibility as Christians to demonstrate joy. There's a very interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28. It says this, The hope of the righteous brings joy. Now we can look at the circumstances in our world, here in the Czech Republic and in our home countries, and we can be discouraged. Or we can say, Lord, I want to live out that verse. I want my life to be a vessel that brings hope to others and, and, and communicates to them the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ so that they can receive joy. Isn't that the greatest need in our world right now? To have joy? Our hope brings joy. When we choose joy, it transcends the violence, the hatred, and places our hearts and lives fully in the hands of God who is faithful and true. And our world needs that joy. They need to see that Jesus is real as demonstrated by our lives. And it is not happiness that communicates to people life change and hope. It is joy. Now, to understand that, we need to, we need to look at what the circumstances were that Paul is writing. His circumstances are not good. He is in perhaps one of the darkest places you could be in life, and yet he's talking about joy. So understand, this is not the power of positive thinking in any way, shape, or form. It is something far deeper. It is a trust in God and seeing God in the midst of our circumstances and what he is accomplishing, even through trials and suffering, that offers hope to the world. It offers joy to the world because they see that something is real when we have joy in the midst of heartache. So let's, first of all, understand, and let me give you just, here's some directions of where we're going to go over the next several weeks about what it means to choose joy. And I picked out um, six of the items that I find here in this passage of Scripture in, in the book of Philippians about Choosing joy. It means that we are intentional, first of all, about praise. The most important thing that we can do to begin to experience joy is to choose to be thankful and to praise God. You cannot be thankful and miserable for very long. 
One or the other will win. And if you choose to be thankful, God will lift the misery. Now, I'm not talking about there are certain events that happen in our life. There are things that we can go through, especially physically. We can go through seasons of depression where our body or chemically, we're going through really difficult times. And that's a reality that happens to us physically. And God has provided uh, medical care and treatment for that. He provides counseling. He provides wisdom from his word, ways to be able to help deal with that. That's one component. But this component is spiritual. And it's something that we have to choose to pursue. And it begins with a lifestyle of praise and thanksgiving to God. Secondly, joy is found when we intentionally pursue Jesus. We'll come back to this in, in Paul's words to live as Christ. Thirdly, joy is found in partnership, in serving one another in the work of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, it is found in promotion, in considering others as more significant than ourselves. That brings joy. It is also found in prayer. When we especially enter into prayer in intercession and we pray like the priests that we are called to be interceding for one another. And finally, joy comes from being a peacemaker. Recognizing that God has a, a ministry of reconciliation that he has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ that he intends to use to draw others to himself and to bring other relationships together so that they can have peace and ultimately experience joy. Those six things are intentional choices that we can make, that we can pursue, that enable us to choose joy. But let's look at Paul. Let's look at his circumstances. At this moment in time when he is writing this, he is in prison in Rome. Now, if you remember, if you read through the book of Acts, if you um, have much familiarity with it, that one of the deepest desires of Paul was to go to Rome to be able to communicate the gospel. And he tried repeatedly to get there, but was hindered because God had other assignments along the way. And Paul finally makes it to Rome, but not in the way he imagined. He makes it to Rome in chains. He is imprisoned, and day and night, 24 hours a day, he has a Roman guard chained to him everywhere he goes. There's a guard. Everything he experiences, there's a guard. But what is more is that to a large degree, when we read through the letters that Paul wrote from prison, we see that not only is he imprisoned, he is also to a large degree forgotten. I want to show you some of this. It's, I hadn't realized this before. There are a few faithful people who are with him, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Onesimus and Onesiphorus. But evidently, the church at Rome itself had forgotten about Paul. Now, I want you to think about that. Perhaps the greatest book in the, in the Bible for teaching doctrine is the letter to the church at Rome, the book of Romans. It's an incredible, incredible message. 
It teaches us all kinds of things about God and about, about um, the mystery of the gospel. It's amazing. Now, wouldn't you think if you received this most incredible letter that was teaching you about God and His um, plan for this world, sorry about that, um, that it would, it would touch your heart so deeply that you would do anything to spend time with the person that God chose to use to write that. And yet, perhaps this greatest passage in the Scripture, those who received it, to a large degree, had forgotten about Paul. Here's how we know that. There's a couple of indications in, in two of the letters, that he, other letters that he wrote from prison. In Philemon chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, it says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me, and I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now what he's saying here is that in prison he meets a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and Paul is able to disciple Onesimus, and then he sends him back to the church at Colossae, to his former master, because he wants Onesimus to be able to make reconciliation with his former master because he was a runaway slave. But Paul tells us his, his condition. He's now an old man. He's now in chains. And his companions, instead of being the pastors and and elders of the church, is a runaway slave. But we find out more in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 17. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphor. I can't even pronounce it. Just pretend like I said it right. Um, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Now, what this simply means is, as we we read it and we look at some of the extra-biblical sources that give us some instruction about what life was like there for Paul, is that Onesiphorus comes to Rome looking for Paul and nobody knows where he is. As a believer, he would have went to the church and he said, does anybody know where Paul is? I'd love to, I mean, I've seen his writings. I I, I understand what what he's told us. Where is he? And the church has forgotten him. What a lonely place. Some of you are in missions and in ministry and you can relate to that. You can feel like the people who sent you have forgotten you. You can feel all alone if we focus on that. But that was not the focus of Paul. He's in prison. He's been forgotten. And what is he busy doing? He's discipling others. And he he tells us in one of his letters that one of his great joys is that because he's been chained to a Roman soldier day and night, almost all of the Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel. He takes that which we would consider to be the worst of circumstances 
And it becomes joy because he sees that God is using him in ways he never, ever could have done if he was simply preaching a sermon before the courts of Caesar. He was able to accomplish more for the gospel in prison than he could as a preacher. What about you? Have you looked at the difficult circumstances and trials that you are in from the viewpoint of, God, how can you use this to point people to Jesus Christ? How can you use me and my response to what's happening in my life to become a catalyst for others to find joy and life in you? See, that's where joy comes from. When our focus is changed from being about our circumstances to being about the gospel. Joy comes from the source of Jesus Christ. If we're to think about it in a contrasting set of uh, happiness is part of our experience physically here in this world, and and who we are is based upon our DNA as humans. We have a, a genome that contains all of the information, all of our genes and all of the instructions that make us who we are. Physically, that's who we are. But that genome is corrupted because of sin. But Jesus Christ offers us a very different DNA, a different genome, all the information, all the materials, all the resources to build our spirits on in a totally different way. And He Himself is the source. And it is absolutely perfect. When we pursue Him, when we choose Him and say, Lord, I want Your life I want your DNA to come alive in me, and so I am going to put all of my trust in who you are and what you have done on the cross and what you are doing right now in and through my life. I want to seek to be obedient to you and to your word, and I want to seek to worship you with all that I am. When we come to him as the source, he gives us life. He gives us joy, and it transforms who we are. It is it is real gene therapy because we are changed in the midst of that. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. There are two different sources that we can tap into. The human experience, which is tainted and sinful and selfish and falls short. Or we can come to Christ and find life. Because the DNA of true joy is Jesus himself. He is the instructions, the material, and the power that builds joy in our life. It all comes from him. And his joy transcends our circumstances. You may be going through a very challenging season right now. But every season of life, even the seasons of grief, can have joy. The song we sang, I Can Only Imagine, is a really hard song for me to sing. Because every time we sing it, I go back to the death of my best friend. And I remember the loss. But at the same time, I remember the hope. 
and the joy. And so I can sing it with a heart that is full because I know that God is working. And I can see over the years since his death how God has worked in my own heart and life and in the lives of others and how he used even a tragic death that still hurts to this day ultimately for, his, for God's glory. But we have to choose to look for it. So we can go through difficult seasons but we can have joy. And the reason that we can is because God himself does not change. He is always here. The trials, the disappointment, the discouragement may be nearly overwhelming, but God offers us joy. In fact, as I was meditating on that this in the night, I realized that in some ways, suffering is a gift for us. The scripture talks a lot about suffering. It is not a gospel of prosperity and health and wealth. It is a message of reality. But it talks about suffering in a way that helps us identify with Christ. And I realize that there is a gift in suffering, a gift I don't like, but a gift I desperately need. Because when we suffer, it brings us to the point of surrender, where we call out and say, God, I cannot handle this anymore. And that may be one of the most important things you or I need to pray. God, I cannot handle this anymore. Here's why. Because in that very statement, we are releasing control. We are giving up on our own resources and saying, God, I need you. And God answers with joy. Doesn't mean that the circumstances necessarily change, but we are transformed when we surrender our heart to him. Jesus is the one who gives us the full picture of what this is like. And I wanna focus in on this for just a couple of moments before we end. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. This instruction is so important to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every circumstance, every pain, everything that we are burdened by, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has called you and I to a specific purpose, you have a race that is different than mine. He has set it before you. And here's what we are to do. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus showed us that the worst possible imaginable circumstance what he went through, he did for joy. Jesus went to the cross. He bore your sin and my sin to pay the penalty that we deserved. 
He did it to bring glory to God the Father, and he did it for joy. Now, does that seem like a paradox? It does until we see the bigger picture. Because what is Jesus' joy? It's you. He took so much joy in you and I that to endure the cross, though it was more than he desired physically, that's why he prays to the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done for joy. He went to the cross because you are his joy. And the people that do not yet know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they are his joy. And he willingly chose to endure the cross because he wants you and I to experience the fullness of his presence in our life and a restored relationship through forgiveness that comes through faith in him. Jesus gives us a model and he says, if you will pursue joy, your life may be difficult, it may have burdens, but you will experience my presence in a way that is far greater than anything you can ever imagine. And the reward will be sweet. Jesus has now sat down at the right hand of the Father according to the Scriptures. And one day soon, He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the burden that He suffered, He will declare it was worth it. And here's the promise of the Scriptures. That when we seek joy, when we seek to put all our trust in God, He promises He will make whatever we go through, whether it is things that are pleasant or things that are painful, He says He will make it good. This is why Paul was able to say, for me to live is Christ. If we really want to understand how to choose joy it is found in those four words. How would you complete that? For me to live is blank. If you're dead honest right now, where is your life coming from? Would you say for me to live is success? For me to live is comfort? For me to live is pleasure? For me to live is recognition. None of those things by themselves will bring you joy. But if you can choose for me to live is Christ Jesus, then the joy of heaven is yours. Father God, It's hard for us to comprehend difficulty and struggle and disappointment. But you are bigger than the problems that we face. You are sufficient to bring joy into the midst of hurt and suffering. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each person here today
Lord, that you would whisper into their ears and into their hearts that you want to give them joy, your very life, your very presence in them. And Lord, I pray that you would call them right now, wherever they are. If they've never trusted you as Savior and as Lord, I pray that today they would simply call upon the name of Jesus. Because you have promised that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, let them just cry out in their heart, quietly or out loud, doesn't matter, right now, let them just say, Lord, I want to know you. Jesus, save me. For others, Lord, maybe they've been looking for life in every place other than you. Maybe there's areas where they're being disobedient and you're simply calling them to say, would you, would you trust me? Would you just turn around and trust me with that decision? Because I want you to experience my presence, my joy. Others, Lord, are going through a difficult trial, difficult time. Would you give them the courage to, to simply say, Lord, I choose joy. I am going to rejoice. I'm going to begin with the first step of simply praising you for who you are and thanking you for the, for the things I see around me, the things I see that you are doing. Lord, would you help us to put this into practice? Help us to choose joy. Lord, we want to see Jesus Christ be lifted up. And Lord, I believe that happens when you become all that we want, all that we desire. So Lord, would you work in our hearts and lives today? Help us to fight for joy. In Jesus' name.